This week's episode is a recording of a conversation produced by Tiffany Earle and Anelody Milne, the founders of Lemmy. We've done our best to enhance the audio of the 20-year-old conference call. While the sound may not be the best, the content is a classic. Yesterday, I substituted for our Sword of Freedom teacher, and we were going over um, three amendments in the Constitution, plus having a colloquium on uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, and plus we were discussing the death of Abraham Lincoln. And as I looked around the room at these kids, there were about 12 or 13 of them in the class. I looked around them in their eyes, and their eyes were so huge and round and just looking at me. And I looked at them, and I just challenged them. I said, you know, looking at the world and then zooming in on America and zooming in on you and thinking about all your peers, and you're here right now so that you can learn to see like Abraham Lincoln saw. So you can learn to see how Atticus saw. You know, in To Kill a Mockingbird in his community, um, he decided he was a lawyer and he it was his job to defend an innocent black man who'd been accused of rape. And every person in that community, every single person knew the black man was innocent and that the white man was guilty of lying. And they, and Atticus knew when he started that everyone would pronounce the black man guilty. And I said, why in the world would he even try? He knew they would pronounce him guilty. And did he lose when he hung everyone's conscience? And all of them, and everyone in the class knew he had to do it, and even though he was beat before he begun because there were other ways that he won. And I remember looking at him and I said, the whole reason you're here is to learn to see like Atticus saw and to see like Abraham Lincoln saw, and to develop eyes like that. And they knew exactly what I was talking about. We could, we were able to start talking a little bit about forms, and the good forms and the bad forms, and and just different things. And, and then, of course, we were able to read part of the Constitution, and I'm thinking, okay, how old is the youngest in this class? And there were several 13-year-olds. And I said, how old is the oldest in this class? There were two 16-year-olds. And... I just, I just bore witness to them. You guys are studying things that people sometimes never get a chance to study in their whole life and laying the foundation for the ability to maintain our freedoms. They just memorized the Gettysburg Address this week. And I said, I said, Abraham Lincoln was right. He could see clearly when he said that the, the <clears throat> proposition that all men were created equally. Had he not kept the United States together, then what had been formed as a nation, it would have failed. You know, 70 years trying and the nation and that was based on the proposition that all men were created equally would have failed. And that's what he could see. He could see it so clearly that they could not fail and that they had to stay united. And for these for our youth to be studying and learning these things, it's it's just amazing. And, and Melody and I want to thank you so much for being in those classrooms and for studying the things that you study and work, the hard work that you do to pass on this legacy to, to our children. We are excited today to have Cammie Mitchell, who works with our, with our youth at 
the Youth for America Youth Conferences that Georgewood College offers. She's the director there. She's also my sister. And so in introducing her, I get to tell a little bit about her. As I told you, she's the director, and she gets right in with our youth and, and plays hard with them and works hard with them when they go to the youth conferences. There's just a couple things that I thought I'd be able to share in introducing her, and I thought about some of the things that I look up to her for. <clears throat> One of them is her great loyalty. I've watched her for years get together with friends that she had in high school every year, those friends gather together and they go on little trips or they have dinner together or they get together and make stupid videos like they did in high school. And I, I think about that and I think about the people that I keep in touch with from high school and there aren't very many. There's a, there's a few and I watch her with, with a whole group of her friends every year get together and I watch her hand write letters to people all the time and I admire her so much for her loyalty and her love. And she always has room for more. She always has room for more friends. And she has a great capacity to love. And to, she is so sincere. And anyone who crosses her path and gets to know her will feel her, the soft touch of her hand on their arm and the deep look of love that comes from her eyes. And um, that's probably one of the things that I have always looked up to Cammie and loved Cammie for is her ability to love others and her loyalty. Something else that that I've watched in Cammie, one time a memo came across my desk from Oliver DeMille and part of the memo talked about courage and the need for moral courage and physical courage. And I remember as I read it, I knew that I had moral courage. I knew that I would stand up for what was right, you know, and that that's something that was inside of me so strong and I remember thinking physical courage now that's another thing that's something that I've got to work on more and so you have to surround yourself with the models for you to develop habits right and and characteristics and I was really lucky because Cammie has both physical courage and and moral courage I remember one time she was in Hungary and she boarded one of the metros and they still have groups of of gypsies and hungry and oftentimes they they plunder and, and steal and, and do things like that and they've got a whole group that bands together and it gives them strength and as she boarded this metro a group of these gypsies boarded and she didn't think anything of it until one of the women <clears throat> reached over and put her hand inside of a woman's purse Cammy immediately grabbed the woman's wrist and wouldn't let go until the woman let go of what she had was stealing out of this other woman's purse. So here she was on the bus having the stare down with the gypsy and all of the other gypsies surround Cammie. And she didn't care. She didn't care. She had physical courage and moral courage and she wasn't going to let go of that woman's wrist until she let go of the contents of that purse. And everybody else on the bus just scattered. <laughs> and of Cammie's stare downs. I don't know how it worked, but the woman let go and, and the gypsies got off at the next stop. And I think about that and I think about who Cammie is and it's very fitting that she talked to us today about the subject that she's sharing with us. So with that, welcome Cammie. Tiffany, thank you for that. I want to just really quickly say thank you to Tiffany and Anality for all that they do. What a difference your students make even in the the YFA program, you can tell a, t a total difference. And so 
what a tribute to you guys. YFA wouldn't have even wouldn't be going if Tiffany didn't dream of it and and make it happen and put me in the position that I'm in today. So hats off to to you two and all that you do behind the scenes. Oliver DeMille says how you make a statesman is is slowly and it's the, always the person behind the scenes doing everything and that's totally Tiffany and Melody. Having you as my sister, Tiff, I get to see some of the stuff that you do behind the scenes and, and the work that you guys put into training your teachers who train the children and the youth and that's amazing. You guys are changing the world every single day and I'm pretty lucky to have you as my sister. Okay, I'm so excited about this stuff. Now, this was an eight-hour leadership conference that I'm going to reduce into minutes. And so I'm going to talk fast, give you a lot of information. I can't even go into depth into any of this, as you can imagine, because of time. But Well, we've asked Cammie. She, she attended an eight-hour leadership training for, like, only eight people. And the two people doing the training were Shannon Brooks and Oliver DeMille. So we've asked Cammie if she would come and pick a couple of her favorite things from that leadership training and share it with us. That's what I'm going to do. Okay, <laughs> there's an essay entitled Warrior that I'm going to start out with just a couple things. It says, a man must come to realize that there are certain things in life worth fighting for. Perhaps when we appreciate the truth of this, we can better understand the heart of God. Okay, and just a couple of scriptures out of the Bible. And if you guys can get a Bible, then I'm going to be going through a couple of scriptures in Ephesians in just a minute. But these three, these three scriptures I'll just quote really quick. In Exodus, it says, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. In Isaiah, it says, The Lord will march out like a mighty man, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will, pray, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. Jeremiah says, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. Our God is a warrior, mighty and terrible in battle, and he leads armies. It is this God that man is made in the image of. Okay, so that's kind of my lead in as to of my whole subject matter, I guess, is I'm going to be talking about the warrior. Our God is a warrior because there are certain things in life worth fighting for, must be fought for. He makes man a warrior in his own image because he intends for man to join him in that battle. Now, if you take anything that's good, true, and beautiful upon this earth and ask yourself, can this be protected without a fight? The answer is no. We have to fight for the things that that we want to keep. So if you guys will turn to, if you have your Bible, Ephesians chapter 6 is where I'm going to read a couple scriptures. And the reason is, Dr. DeMille says, we are at battle. We are in war right now. We're fighting for all sorts of things, including our freedoms and morality. And, and there's a huge list of things that we're battling over right now. And he says, there are six points of a leader a warrior, a lemmy teacher, a mother. There are six points that I want to briefly touch on that start in Ephesians 6, verse, I'll start reading from verse 11. 
It says, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and have, having done all to stand, now we're getting into point number one. Stand therefore, verse 14, having your, number one, loins girt about with truth. Okay, your loins. This is your power of creation. Your loins, your power of creation girt about with truth. Now, to girt is to cover. That's exactly opposite of what Satan and what the world thinks that you should do with your loins. They say, uncover everything. The Lord says, cover your loins about with truth. Point number two of a leader, continuing in that verse. It says, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So number two, breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate in battle, this is what covers your vitals. This is what keeps you alive. It covers your organs and, and righteousness. Tiffany, give me a definition of righteousness. What do you think of when, when that is said? I think that righteousness is the action when you align yourself with what is right and true. So I think it's, it's coupled a little bit with wisdom because... You're aligning yourself with the natural law. That's you what have, I think. Yeah, that's exactly. Well, you have to know what's right in order to align yourself with what's right. Right, and lots of people might know what's right, but don't align themselves with it. But don't follow it. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so we have to. The, our breastplate, which what is what keeps us alive. If we get an arrow in our arm, we won't die from it. But if we get a, an arrow underneath the breastplate, then we're we're pretty much gone. Righteousness is our breastplate. That that reminds me of Irene Gook. She she was a young woman during World War II, and she was in I think it was in Holland or Poland. I can't remember now which one. I think it's Poland. And she was working as a cook for the German officers. And when she went up into the upstairs of the building, she saw the Jews in the ghetto behind the building massacred. She saw them all shot down. And one of the head leaders of the Germans, he was a good man, but stuck in a hard place, and he took her and wouldn't let her scream, and he said, pretend like you didn't see this. Walk away. Go back down to to the kitchen. Go home. Pretend you didn't see this. Because he knew that she was good, and she walked out of the room, but she could not pretend she didn't see it. She started smuggling food to the Jews behind the, the fence after that, and she started smuggling Jews to freedom, and she aligned herself with what was good and right, and she covered her vitals. She became a warrior. That's awesome. Just like what you're talking about. That's a perfect example. Um, okay, number three, starting in verse 15, it says, Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Dr. DeMille points out, to prepare for peace means you go to war. War is actually the preparation for peace. 
thought that was really cool way to look at that. But your feet shod with the gospel of peace. So we have to make sure our feet take us to the right places in preparation for peace. Okay, that's point number three. I want to just make a little remark on that one. Yeah. Having your your feet shod with the preparation. So if he's, you know, the preparation of the of peace is war, and so you're going to prepare your feet and and go about that. You just think about a horse. When a horse is is traveling across terrain, if one of the horseshoes come come off, then pretty soon the horse will go lame. And if the if the person doesn't stop and take that shoe off and clean out the horse's hoof and then re-shod, re-put on the protective covering for that horse, he will lose his horse and he will lose his ability to travel with options instead of going, you know, a few miles a day or 20 miles maximum, 14 miles a day, he can go 20 miles in an hour if that horse is shod correctly. If the preparations are made correctly, and um, the, his ability to move, his ability to maneuver, and it's it's the same thing with this. When when we prepare for battle, we've got to put on the protective coverings. And so there is a lot when when thinking about just one thing. For instance, um, we have to know the enemy. You know, we have to know who we're fighting against. We need to. There are so many things I think about. George with college's strategy for the last 15 years to build statesmen. Mm-hmm. And for like 13 years, it was study, study, learn, learn, learn. Our feet were being shod and in preparation. And we're finally ready to move out and have the ability to take the next step of being a warrior and fighting for what is, for something that's worth fighting for. That's exactly what, what these Lemming teachers are doing with the youth is preparing them for the battle that is is sure to come. And if if you are prepared, you shall not fear. And that that leads me into point number four, which is verse sixteen. It says above all, taking the shield of faith. Shield of faith. This is such an awesome concept the shield if you're holding the shield you can move it all around because the enemy attacks not just from the front but attacks from all sides he knows where your weaknesses are and if you're if you're good with your shield you can move this anywhere and protect yourself and it says from all the fiery darts of the wicked do you think the lord meant what he said all of them or did he mean just most of them? Or I mean 99% of them, but some will still get through. No, he means what he says. He says, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, if you have on your shield of faith. And it's really cool. In my master's class this, this time in our, one of our lectures, he, Dr. Schulteis talked about how the, the Greek would stand up their front line so if i was standing with my shield i have my shield in in my left hand it's covering my left side and then the person next to me my neighbor is standing shoulder to shoulder with me so my shield is covering my left side and his right side 
and then his shield is covering his own left side and his neighbor's right side. And so if one person in this line falls, if they decide, oh, my gosh, I'm really scared, they're coming to get us, throws down his shield and takes off, the whole line is broken. The enemy has won. But if they hold strong to their shields, they're totally interconnected with each other, fighting for the same cause, then it is impenetrable. As one, when they're one. one. Yes, they have to be one. Otherwise, they're broken. And that, I'm going to pull into that a little later with something else. But that is just fantastic. I thought that was so, such a neat concept if you look at that. So the shield of faith. Faith is the shield of fear. Like Grandma Rhodes always taught us, Tiffany, that if you have faith, you cannot have fear. Those two things cannot coexist. It's like the positive side of a of a magnet and a negative side of the magnet. If you're trying your hardest to push them together, you can't. It'll <laughs> it'll flip, flip itself. As soon as you let go of the force behind it, it'll flip itself around because those two cannot exist together. Faith and fear, total opposites. If you have your shield of faith, you don't need to be afraid of anything. And Dune says that fear is the mind killer. Um, (laughs) Oliver shared a poem, and I don't know who wrote it. He It's in in Dune. It's so good. I remember that line now that you say it. Okay. He says, face the fear. He says, I will face the fear and let it go through me. And it will be gone and I will remain. Because you can stand up to fear and, and not be afraid. The battle's going on, but we don't need to hunker down and, and hide behind our shields. We need to stand up, and our shield is of faith, and believing in ourselves, believing that we are in the right, and we can stand up to what, whatever comes our way. I love, I love that point. Okay. I really, I just have to touch for a minute. I really, really, really love the, the analogy of being one. And that that's where the strength lies. Just recently, President Ahmadinejad from Iran wrote a letter to the America's people, and one of his biggest goals in the letter was to disunite us, to make us hate each other and to make us be very angry at our leaders and to make us doubt the American form and to pull us apart, to pull us, pull us, pull us apart. Because his only fear is that we would unite and be one. Really? Because then he would lose. He His cause would be lost if America was united and won. And his only hope to defeat her, to defeat us, is to disunite us. Oh, wow. This and, yeah, there's, there's one way to fight terrorism, and that is for to be one. To, to unite. To unite. That is the, the, you know, one of the most important steps in in fighting terrorism, which is, you know, all Americans are enlisted in in a great fight against terrorism right now. And one of the the most important ways is to unite and to be one. And I I watch my Commonwealth struggle. I watch my teachers and my board and 
our families, trying to learn how to become one. It's, and it's amazing to have this opportunity in our schools to learn on a local level once again how to be one. Oh, wow. That reminds me of the, the essay, Our New Story by Wheatley, when she talks about how totally the old story is, is we're disconnected and we're all about me and it's self-everything. But the new story is that we are connected with our brother and sister and we're totally here for each other and with each other and fighting the same battle, heading in the same direction and, and going somewhere together, helping each other get there. You, it's exponential, the difference. It's, that's so cool, the, that concept. I'm going to tie that back in again in a minute, Tiff. Okay. Okay, point number five is verse 17. It says, take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Okay, so you think of the helmet which covers your head, your mind, your thoughts, your brain, your knowledge. Salvation protects the head. Knowledge of your own salvation gives you courage. And Oliver talked about this. A lot of people don't know where they're headed after this life. Even if they're a great person and they've done good things all their lives, they get to the end and they say, I just don't know. Tiffany, you were sharing the story of a 92-year-old woman who was just a wonderful, she's wonderful nine, lady. I, she's 97. 97. She's, a, she's a little friend of mine, and I stopped by to visit with her the other day. Um, had two of my kids with me, and she made me go out and get them out of the car and come in and sit down. And she said, well, yeah, my family thought I was going two or three times in the last couple of months. I've been really hard to get a hold of, you know. I've been in and out of the hospital. And she said, she said, but I just keep surprising them. I'm just not ready to go yet. And I looked at her and kind of smiled. And she said, you know, when it gets down to it, you really fight for life. And I said, yeah, we do. We fight for life. And she said, and besides that, I can't go. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know if I'm going up or down. And I just looked at her in just shock and astonishment. And I said, because I know the life that she has lived, such an incredible, good life, raising incredible men and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and the legacy of hope and love and faith and everything good that she has left. And that is here. And I looked at her and I said, are you kidding me? And she said, do you know where you're going? And I thought, do I lie? <laughs> you know? And it's, it's this one right here, this courage to know where you are and whose side you're on. And I said, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. And I know in whom I've trusted. And I know that it's through grace. <laughs> You know, right. and I said, you can know where you're going. So you're, and really, so she could have the courage when it's time to go. That's exactly right. Like Gandhi knew where he was going. He knew. And so the British could not touch him. That is fantastic. We have to know where we're going. If If we don't, how can we help someone else get there? Once we know where we're going and we know that salvation is ours, then we can turn and, and save others. We can help others put on their helmet 
of salvation. Point number six is the, the end of, of verse 17. It says, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now up to point six, one through five have all been defensive acts and and parts of war, shields, breastplates, ways to protect yourself. But point number six, the sword, the only purpose for a sword is offensive. And this is the the word of God. So we have to have the word of God in order to pick up our spirit, our sword, and run and get the enemy instead of standing back and waiting for them to come and, and shoot all their fiery darts at us and protect ourselves all day long and be on the defense. It's time to take up our sword and be on the offense in, in this big battle. Okay? I want to share a personal experience just on on this. Is I have three children, and with my first two, I had them in the hospital with an epidural, and I loved the epidural. It was wonderful. It took me out of a lot of pain, and it was really <laughs> funny. When I shared this in our conference, I go, Dr. Mill, you can't relate to this, you know, as much. And he goes, are you kidding me? I fainted twice in Rachel's birth. So I <laughs> totally relate. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I apologize. So I shared this analogy with me, and he's like, wow, this is so cool. Anyway, on this, on the the birth of my third child, we were at the hospital, and I was working really hard. I was stuck at, at the dilation of a six for the third time, and these contractions were coming, and I would dread them. I was so afraid, so afraid of the next contraction, and how long was it going to be, and how hard was it going to be, how much pain was I going to be in, and I was wanting to run away from these contractions and and I was stuck at a six and I was like Heavenly Father what am I supposed to do here I can't I can't get on this I I better just take the the pain medication and so Tiffany called the midwife and she came in and as soon as as Liz walked in the room and and Cammie was at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Cammie was at the hospital and had had the impression earlier that day, have your baby naturally. I did. And so when Liz walked in the room, all of a sudden, if you can get these two visions, I've, I had been on the defensive. For these three hours for, out of six. Uh, yes, I was just struggling, and these things were hitting me really hard. Tiffany and Angie thought that for sure I was going through transition because of how hard the contractions were. And still I was sitting at a six. I was sitting there letting those contractions hit me. I was afraid of them. I wasn't doing anything about it. Just, oh, just breathe through it. Just get through it. Okay, just one more. Just one more. Oh, I hate this. This is really painful. Oh, this is really hard. Liz walks in the room, the midwife. Cammie, you're in the wrong position. So here she mentors me. Okay, and mentors are so key in in overcoming our battles. Sometimes we just can't do it by ourselves. In fact, we can never do it by ourselves. We are connected. We are here for each other. She says, get in this position, breathe this way, push 
through this contraction. Work with your contraction, doing this and this and this. And oh my goodness, I picked up my sword. And all of a sudden, the fear that I had had for every contraction walked out of the room. And I picked up my sword and I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring this baby into this world. I'm going to work with the contractions instead of being afraid of them. I know that if I work through them like she tells me to, that I will have the baby in my arms. I can see the end. And I picked up my sword. I pushed for two hours. I had to push him all the way through the uterus and everything because his head wasn't even near my cervix. Sorry if this is way too personal, but... It was an analogy that totally drives this thing home. I became a warrior and worked through that labor, bringing my son into my arms without any help of medication because I was willing to go through the fear and pick up my shield of faith and my sword. And I raised the battle cry and screamed and ran full force ahead guys, we are at battle. We are at war. Do you guys have something worth fighting for? Heck yes, you do. What is it that you've been sitting back on the defensive? Ouch, that hurts. Oh my gosh, I hope this doesn't last very much longer. What is it that you need to stand up against with faith, knowing the end result? Pick up your sword. The Word of God. Have your armor of God and go forth, raising the battle cry of freedom. Run with everything that is in you. Okay. Okay, I'm down. <laughs> I have to tell you that my life is forever changed, Cammy, witnessing that. When Liz looked at you and said, do you want this baby? And you said, I want this baby. And she said, all right, let's do it. And you, your eyes, your eyes could have, could have knocked down an army of a thousand at that moment. It was so beautiful. Thank you, Tiffany. Couldn't have done it without all my sisters in the room helping me, <laughs> helping me be a warrior. Okay, now I'm going to totally switch gears and go into really quickly three different belief systems so I can go into the rest of the lecture. Okay, so there's three. One, two, and three, if you're taking notes. The first one is monism. Okay, that's the belief that, that the universe is made up of matter. Everything is material. Okay, fame, power, money, whatever you're doing, you're doing it for materialistic. Okay, most, most of us here are not on that level. Okay, Belief number two is dualism. The universe is made of matter and spirit. Okay, so I am physical, body, and spirit. Cammie? Yes. Can you tell us the first word again, monism? Can you spell it for us? Monism, M-O-N-I-S-M. Okay. Dualism is the dual and an ISM. And so under under dualism, 
there's there's two types of beliefs. The the first is materialistic, which is the body trumps the spirit. And the second is the spiritualist, which is the spirit trumps the body. Okay, now I'm going to leave those two beliefs and go into the third one. And the whole rest of my my notes and everything that I'm going to share with you is under polyism. Poly meaning many beliefs. P-O-L-Y-I-S-M. Polyism. Okay, which is the universe is multiply parted into three parts. I am self, spirit, and body. Okay, and self we're going to describe as our intelligence is our intellect. But you said self was intelligence? Now, now when I say intelligence, it's not our smartness. <laughs> it's our intelligence <laughs> that that was the first three, thing that's, that's eons and eons old that has been trained at the feet of God for how many thousands and thousands of years. So that intelligence has come. It is, it is the inside. <laughs> the second layer is our spirit, which is our intellect, our mind. And then the third layer is our body, which is our physical. Okay, so there's three entities here. Okay, and he's, Dr. DeMille says, to, we need to start thinking like a warrior because we are at war. We are in battle. So the question is, how do we become a warrior? What do you guys have that is worth fighting for? I know that every single mother has fought to bring her child to earth. There are so many things that we are fighting for on a daily basis. Are we a soldier? Just out of out of duty, we're following someone else's command. Are we a warrior? Totally in agreement with the goal and the purpose of being out there. In my core book, there is a Captain Moroni that his family and freedom is worth fighting for. And so he goes around and petitions to all the all the men that he is over. And he says, if you do not believe in what I'm fighting for, then I don't even want you a part of my army. You have to sign this, saying that our goals are exactly the same, that we are fighting for the same thing. We're not fighting for fame or money or power. We're fighting for freedoms and our children's and our wives. <laughs> okay, there's four, there's actually five different levels. Now, I'm totally in the polyism, okay? There's five different levels within that that I'm going to briefly tell you so I can go into the four questions of a warrior. Okay, the first level, which is the, the lowest level we'll start with, 
is when the human being is on what's called one-third of the self. So you've got self, body, and spirit. Okay? One-third means none of those three are aligned with each other. So the body seeks bodily things. The spirit thinks spirit things. So that you're totally disconnected from your from your other parts. Okay, that's the lowest level, that's called one third. You are always at war with yourself. The monks are the spirits trying to control their body. He says the men are bodies seeking other bodies. Like there's a whole bunch of, of different examples, but I don't have time to totally get into it. But anyway, you're totally disconnected. This is one-third. Cammie, we can yes. go until 9.30, so take the time to go through these. You're fine. Oh, okay. Huh. <clears throat> okay. Okay. In he, he talks about in business, it's the body seeking what the body wants. Okay. It's totally men of, of business are people after totally materialistic things. And when he says business, his definition is money is the bottom line. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And and uh, the world views intimacy as these these people are totally on the one-third level where it's all about me. I am seeking physical pleasure and nothing nothing else. So depending on if you're one, two, three, or four, or five, if you're one-third, then intimacy would represent almost like what Anne Rand says intimacy is, one-night stand. Exactly. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Exactly. Because you don't care about yourself, meaning the inside layer, your intelligence. You don't care it's on a spiritual level. It's all about the body. Okay. Because you're one-third, you're not connected with the other two at all, okay? Level number two is two-thirds, okay? So this is where two of the three parts are connected, but they're not connected with all three. Does that make sense? So maybe you have your body and your spirit that are connected, but they're not connected with your intelligence, which is the will, which I need to tell you. Okay, the self, which is also the intelligence, which he also called the will, is perfect. This is what's been trained by God. And it is aligned with with God and his goals and, and his purpose. Okay, so if if our spirit and our body are connected but disconnected with ourself, or disconnected with God. Exactly. <clears throat> then we're working on two-thirds. Okay, we're on level two. Or if our spirit is connected with the will, but, but our body is taking us everywhere else, and we can't, we can't align our body with, with the other two, we're still on level two, being in two-thirds. Okay, so the, the body, if the body's hungry then that's what matters over the will, which is perfectly aligned with God's will, 
or the intellect, which, which is our spirit, which is the center of reason, wisdom, and rationale. Okay. Level number three is one over one. So it's one totally connected, but you're not sure where you're going. And so you aren't fighting for anything because you have no direction. Level number four, and this is where where we really need to be. Level number four is three over one, which is all three totally connected, and then you have direction. You know where you're going. You know what you're fighting for. And this is where you can't touch a man. If he, if he is totally aligned and knows where he is headed. Because in, in war, if they can break your will, then they have won. In, in the bridge at Ondao, the Hungarians, when they, they put all these prisoners into this building and left them there, and totally took time to, to deteriorate their minds. Two people escaped, two Hungarians, and so the prisoners were punished because of the two escapees. Okay, so they didn't get food and water for days. They got beatings and they got, ever, I mean, un, unimaginable things done to them because these two Hungarians escaped. Do you think those ones that are left are going to let anybody escape? They turned into crabs. And so as soon as anybody would try to crawl out of the container, they would reach up and grab them and pull them back down and say, I will not pay for you getting out. And so one of these escapees was caught and put back into this building with the ones that had paid for him escaping. This is so sad. The Hungarians ripped this man to shreds within seconds. Their will was taken. They gave up. They, they beat them by taking, getting inside their mind, getting inside their will. All of a sudden, they were totally disconnected. They didn't care about their brother. It was all about me, and you made me suffer, and I will take you down now. That is how the, how the <coughs> warfare will work. But if we are three over one, level fours, we're totally connected, we know where we're going, and you can't touch that person. That is the, the story of the Hungarians is the very opposite of Lucy Rand, and I know I don't speak French, I'm not saying his name right. But when he was the, one of the leaders of the French resistance and then they were caught from a traitor and all of them were sent to the prison camps, at the very, very, very end of the war, he was <clears throat> in a really, really famous concentration camp. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of, of people in this concentration camp and he was in the sick unit <clears throat> or the mutilated unit because he was blind and so everybody in that unit had some kind of deformity. And they came over the loudspeakers, the Germans came over the loudspeakers, and they said, if you want 
food, and if you want to stay alive. Now, these are the Germans that have been beating them and killing them for years, okay? And this is the voice, and this voice says, if you want to stay alive and you want food, then come voluntarily with us, okay? Yeah. Every unit except for Lucy Rand's follows. And there's no way the Germans, they were so outnumbered. There, the Germans had lost. The Americans, the Americans were three days away. That's all they were. And of course the people in the camp don't know this. So the Germans come on and say, if you want to stay alive and if you want food, come with us. So the other units follow them and start marching out. And we know what happens and they were lined up and they were just absolutely massacred and killed. Well, Lucy Rand is laying there on his bed and he hears this and he sees the men in his unit start to get ready to to follow. And he all of a sudden is filled with the power that you're talking about that's unstoppable. He stands up and he says to his barracks, no one leaves this room. No one. And the other big, huge leader says, we are leaving and Lucy Ran knocks him out. Just knocks him out. <laughs> he fights. He is a warrior and he fights and he's, he's one with himself and he is three over one like you're talking about here. And he again stands up and he says, no one leaves this room. And he saved their lives. We're interrupting this broadcast to invite you to ask questions or share your epiphanies in the comments section. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a good review on the platform you are using, because that really helps others find our content. And they were the ones that were there three days later when, when the Allies came in. There's no question. This is where we need to be. Level further. Level five, which is six over one which you can guess what that is. It's a husband and wife team. The husband himself is three over one, and the wife herself is three over one. So together, they're six over one. And this isn't just double the power. This is actually exponentially increased on what a husband and wife pair can do that are totally connected with themselves and with each other and united in the goal that is a true warrior. There are four questions of a warrior. Question number one goes along with what we've just discussed. It says, what is my battle right now? What is it you guys are fighting for? And it says, whatever level one, two, three, four, five, that you're on, go up a level. If you're working on one-third right now, get to two-thirds. If you're already three over one, get to six over one. Increase your level. Okay, for point number two, I'm going to talk about our ego and for the polyist, which is the the belief system that we've been talking about, the three self, spirit, and body, for the polyist, the ego is evil. Now, the ego, e ego 
<laughs> consists of three different things. It's the judge, which is judging others and myself. It's the victim. Woe is me. Everybody hates me. I can't do anything. This is so hard. When is this going to end? And three is the wisher. If only I had the money, then I could make a difference in the world. If only I had the right car, then I could do the things that I need to do. If only. Okay. Now, I just want to point out something. The dreamer is not the same thing as the wisher. These are totally opposite things. Okay? The wisher will sit and if only, if only, if only all day. The dreamer is, he dreams of something that he wants and he'll go and get it. Okay? So these are two different things. So the ego is the wisher. Okay? I wanted to point, point that out. Okay, so point number one was what is my battle right now? That's your, not point, your question. Number two, the questions of a warrior, is does the ego voice have influence over me? Does the ego voice have influence over me? So any of those three. Am I judging others? Do I have the victim mentality? Am I a wisher? If so, we have got to stop listening to those voices. They cannot have control or even an influence of our lives any longer. We need to rid ourselves of those voices. If those voices come in, we need to stand up and say, you know what? You're trying to misalign myself. I'm not going to listen. You can walk right back out that door. Okay, number three. I have to tell a story and then I'll tell you point number three, question number three. In Marcus Aurelius, in his life, he had a son, and his son's name is Commodus, and he Marcus knew that if Commodus ever got the throne, he would be a tyrant. And so he was planning and actually pulled in the the head of his armies, the commander of his armies, which was practically another son to him, Maximus Aurelius. Sorry, Maximus Meridius. He gave Maximus the throne. He said, the throne will be yours. But it, Maximus turned around to leave and Commodus came in and killed his father Marcus Aurelius before he could hand the throne to Maximus okay so Commodus has taken over the throne and is exactly what his father feared a tyrant and he takes Maximus and he puts him out on the front line of duty knowing that he'll be killed, he murders his wife and his son and completely burns his whole estate down to the ground. Okay, so he 
completely rids himself of Maximus, he thinks. Maximus actually survives the battle, is sold to slavery, gets out of that, becomes a gladiator. Okay, so they're in this huge ring. All these people come to watch these little group of gladiators get massacred by whatever they, the Romans bring into the picture. Okay, so Maximus actually becomes a gladiator that starts, pulls all the other gladiators together. He unites them, and they start winning, and this is unheard of. He, okay, so there, a battle took place, and Maximus is down there. They just won. They beat these, these soldiers that had horses and spears and all sorts of other things. Commodus is sitting up in his throne, and he says, to my knowledge, this isn't how it's supposed to happen. I want to meet this gladiator. Okay, and he has no idea who it is. So he's brought down into the ring and Commodus the wicked tyrant says to Maximus who has a mask on he has he has a helmet that covers his face okay so he has no idea who he's talking to he says your fame is well deserved Spaniard I don't believe there's ever been a gladiator that matched you why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us your real name Maximus doesn't say anything obviously why doesn't he say something? Because he's trying to decide. If he unveils himself, then the king will know who he is, he'd know he's alive, and he'll kill him. Okay, so he's going through this huge inner battle of whether to take his, his helmet off or not. Commodus says, you do have a name. And Maximus turns around and starts walking away, and he says, my name is Gladiator. Commodus says, how dare you show your back to me, slave? You will remove your helmet and tell me your name. Maximus slowly, very slowly, lifts his helmet and turns his face to face his enemy. And he says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north. General of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Can you imagine what was going through Commodus's head? Here is a warrior who knows who he is. He knows what he needs to do. And he's willing to do it. That's the third question. What is your name? Who are you the commander of? Where is your allegiance lie? What are your family connections? And what is your intention? We need to know these things. We need to know who we are in order to be the warrior that we've been called to be. At this point in the leadership training, Oliver said, I have a gift for each of you. And he had little Oliver, 
bring out. <clears throat> Who's not so little anymore. <laughs> yeah. I guess younger Oliver. <laughs> really tall. <laughs> Oliver brought, younger Oliver brought out this sword. And it's a real sword. It's humongous. It's as tall as I am. And he brings it out. And Dr. DeMille stands up. And he takes the sword and he says, Cammy, the name of your sword is La Vinidor, which is the old French for the future. He says, you're working with the future as you work with the youth of today. He says, it's not all about fun and games and friendships. He says it's about commitments, education, preparing the warriors of the future. He says you were born not to be protected, but to fight for the things that are worth fighting for. And he handed me my sword. And he said, now let's go out and win this battle. The truth is worth fighting for. We look a lot of the times for the path of least resistance, and that is rarely the path that we need to take. So question number four is, what is God's name for you? I want to point out that when something truly changes, then the name changes as well. You'll notice that that pattern throughout the Bible. If real change happens, then the name is also changed. So question number four, what is God's name for you? So we need to become warriors. We need to fill out these four questions and we need to do them in order we can't start with number four we have to start with number one <laughs> none of this haphazard stuff <laughs> we have to do it logically <laughs> and it's going to take some time this isn't something that you can just quickly fill in and then move on this is going to take some time to become the warrior that we need to be we need to jump up a level we need to silence the ego voices that are having influence on us. We need to figure out what our name is. And then when those three are complete, then we need to find out what God's name is for us. And that's my presentation on <laughs> the warrior. Cammy, thank you. I so appreciate We appreciate you coming and, and reporting to us about your training that you have. And and. We're, we all love that our youth get to come and be in your youth conference. I'm going to open this up. Well, I don't actually have to unbeep everybody, but <clears throat> we have time for probably a couple of questions. If... Anelody, are you on? Yes, I'm okay. on. I, I I want to mention that I'm, uh, I'd like to open up for questions, but I'm I'm most interested in comments because, I mean, if you have questions, that's awesome, but I mean, clarification is needed. Um, but I'd like to hear from our people and, you know, maybe a little bit of personal experiences they've had with training warriors. 
This is Nicolene Peck. Hello, um, Nicolene. Hi. Hey, I've got a comment um, on the idea of what God's name is for you and that when something changes, the name changes as well. I've actually um, noticed that pattern in a lot of classics such as um, like Les Miserables. That's a huge one for that. Yeah, that was so interesting when you said that. Oh, yeah, I can see that in Les Mis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I wrote a whole paper on that one. <laughs> but but it really is true, and there's so much significance in that when you even just look at your real life and what marriage is supposed to mean and how your name changes with marriage and how your name changes as you grow into grandma and other things like that and what those things mean. And I just noticed that when some people can't, say, like, you know, they have a hard time being called grandma or something like that, and they're not willing to embrace those new names, then then what they're actually turning away is very significant, I think. Wow. Oh, thank, thank you. you. I have a question. I don't understand the difference between level three and four. What what takes you from the one and one and the three and Who one? I this? wasn't clear on that. Kelly Who's Hansen. It? Sorry. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Can't we do to hear that question? I did. On on level three, you're totally connected with yourself, but you're not sure where you're going. So oh, okay. You're not fighting anything because you have no direction. You're just kind of wandering. Yes, you're connected with yourself, but you have no direction. And that's what with with direction and a cause to fight. That's what brings you to level four. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. That's a, very, that's a very interesting level, I think, because I think many people get stuck there. In fact, most of the people who I work with that are, you know, are struggling, that's the level that they're stuck at. It's not at that first level or second level. It's when they get to the, you know, they're, re- they're really good parents. They're, they're doing the right things. They're, they're chugging along. They're getting an idea of how things are going, but they just have no vision for their themselves and their and their family. And so they lead them haphazardly. Well, you remember the the statesman um who said that bad things happen um from three groups, evil people doing evil things on purpose to hurt lots of people and to gain power, right. or selfish people doing things not caring if it hurts anybody, they're just thinking of themselves, or good people Doing bad things, not knowing it, ignorantly. Right. The whole and that that by and large, a huge group. You have to have purposeful leadership. You can't. You've got to have a vision of where you're going. You you can't just buy into the lies of the world and allow them to, allow the the world to toss you in by with every with their every whim. Well, war is hard, guys. Why would we? If we didn't have a purpose, why would we be out there on the battlefield wielding our sword and and going forth? So if you're on level three and something hard comes, right, you're like, I'll just go home. Who cares? I don't need to direct <laughs> YFA. It's too hard. I know. You know, I have to tell you, my son has done a lot of studying on, on wars and battles and all that kind of stuff. It's really one of his things. And one day he came up to me and he said, Mom, do you know... Do you know what happens? Do you know one of the first things that happens to um, an army when they start to lose the they start to lose the war? It becomes about the battles. 
and they forget that they're fighting a war. Wow. Up in the little mundane, everyday thing. Right. And he can prove it through throughout history. He can show you where the army got caught up in, this is my battle, I'm fighting this battle, this is the one that's the most important, and they forget about the this, this strategy, the vision of the overall war. Anality, this is Sherry. Hi, Sherry. Hi. Oh, my gosh. Was this a timely conference call? Or <laughs> Thank you so much, Cammy. It's always a pleasure to be in your space. Um, oh, thank you. I, and I'll tell you that I had this huge insight over this past year. I've been with Lemmy. I can't remember. Melanie knows how long we've been with Lemmy. Probably at least four years, maybe longer. And, you know, one of the things you said in the beginning was it takes – you know, becoming a warrior takes a long time. It's it's a process. It's not something that you instantly instantly happens. And this year, I'm I've been the chairman of the, our Commonwealth School, and it, it's been a breeze because we've had these wonderful people ahead of us. You know, who've been who've come before me, who have put things together. But that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is. In being a warrior, and sometimes, even in my own family, I have felt alone in that it does take time. But this year, I have little pieces have all started coming together. And so I feel as if I've been, you know, getting my battle gear. It's like I'm getting the battle gear ready, and I'm looking at the shield going, man, I really need to, I need to clean that thing up it's it's got things in it i i gotta fix this you know and as i have i've begun to see the connectedness of things all around and and so i just want to attest to the fact that regardless of where you are in terms of you know your own education or you know if this is your first year teaching being a lemmy mentor or whatever you know hang in there because it's Things will come together. I'm not saying that life is easy at my house now, but <laughs> or you know in life, but it does finally come together. And I realized as I was on this conference call, I mean, this is like a little example. We didn't do a youth conference this year in our Commonwealth School, which we've done before, and mainly it was because everyone was kind of overwrought and we kind of didn't plan it, and then we didn't want to do a shoddy job. Well, I recently decided. We decided in November, we really need to have this youth conference. We've got to do this. And so we started trying to get it together, and I just recently decided again, okay, you know what, this is not the year for youth conference. And the lesson we've learned is we really do need a youth conference, but as I heard you speak and everything else, I just realized, you know, Tiffany all always talks about looking out with spiritual eyes and developing all those things. And as I have worked on my education, both both my you know, building myself up spiritually and also building up my working knowledge of, of history and literature and, and government and math and things like that, it has helped me to become a stronger warrior and a stronger leader. And so that, you know, canceling the youth conference, although it sounds like a bad idea, was probably the best thing we could have done because we were going to do a lousy job and stress a lot of people out at a high level at a bad time because <laughs> we've got shows coming up and every, you know, everything else. So I'm 
But what you're saying is that you were able to make the choice between what you thought were two goods and be able to be a very strong director in the, the, the way you felt that things needed to happen so that you all could remain strong. Yes, instead of weakening your doing forces. something that we thought was good, but really weakening people mm, right. and, and the students and, and our, you know, everything in the process. That's what leadership is all about. Learning when to say when. And that's not easy. No, it's not. But it also is about learning how to stretch yourself and help and really, really do the, the best job you possibly can. You know, there's that, there's that real fine line you have to walk. Yes. Work hard, but don't overwork. Yeah, yes. That is very true. And I have to tell you that in my experience, many of us have to do it the, the wrong way first. And then you see, okay, mm-hmm. so that yeah. you're able to choose between the good things to do and when you can stretch yourself and when you can't. And, there's, you know, there's so many factors to take. Some of us overwork it first. Is it going to work for your <laughs> right. husband? And is it going to work for, right. you know, without making people sick? And I really I really love what she says about the ego, to not judge ourselves or others because we better allow each of ourselves and each other to make mistakes. Yes. Where you said you might not do it right the first time. I I look at you know here I am leading and guiding and teaching about the Commonwealth schools, and it doesn't stop me from making fifty thousand mistakes in my Commonwealth school. Right. <laughs> you know? She hates it. I know. She's like, oh dang. We better just be okay with jumping in, and we're all going to make a whole bunch of mistakes, and we're all going to get better, and we won't make the same mistake next time. Because that's what it's all about. Yeah. It's about the jumping in and doing it. It's not about sitting there and being afraid. That's what I love about the Commonwealth schools because I look at, you know, I was was a a co-chair last year and this year I'm the chair. And I look around and part of me is like, oh, my gosh, we're going to make sure we have the absolutely right person and, and you know, and, and there's also a part of human nature where you don't want to share the power or the glory or the something, you know? Right. But the power and the glory comes from, as you were talking about sharing, from standing with our shields, you know, together okay. and overlapping. That's where strength is, not yes. in one person leading the charge. Although you That's always right. have to have one person leading the charge. Yeah. Can I make a comment? This is Nicolene again. I can't remember the name of who was speaking, but she mentioned something about feeling alone and being lonely. And all of a sudden, I just got flooded with these thoughts of being a warrior and being alone. And there's a great book by Sherry Duke called No One Can Take Your Place, which is kind of a warrior principle training book. But in there, she talks about being alone a lot. So it's a great read. But what I realized too, based on the call that we've just had, is that being alone is so something we should embrace. I mean, we obviously need to work together too, just like the shields and everything else. But we are alone in that relationship with self, in that relationship with divinity and God. We are alone in that purpose. And we have to stand alone in that one-on-one agreement purpose that we have, so we have to embrace it and love it and and look at it and say, 
hey, we're taking a step. And that was really, really hard. And I'm really, really alone. And isn't this amazing that I got it's to a, make it's this a step? Really, it's an interesting paradox how we're alone and yet we're united, like when Cammy was describing having yeah. a baby. Nobody could make that decision for her. Nobody else was in that position. She was alone in in on one side of the paradox, and at the other side of the paradox, she was surrounded by a host. You know? Right. Yeah, of people who were supporting her. And mentoring and helping and fighting and praying and all of the things that, so, but it, but there are both elements, there are absolutely both elements in a warrior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a question. Can you redefine the difference between wisher and dreamer, please? Yeah, sure. Um, a wisher is the one that sits back on the couch and says, if only I had this, if only I had that, if I had money, then I would go and change the world. If I had... But he does nothing about it. does nothing. He sits and wishes. He waits until he, everything's perfect before they act. And then the dreamer... Which never happens. ...has a vision of something, and he's willing to go through the work to get it. And all the mistakes and all and the, the pain. Failure. You have to be able to accept failure and love it because that is how you step up in the world. That's how you move to the next level is, holy cow, I just fell flat on my face, <laughs> and I learned so much. Dang. I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> or maybe I will. <laughs> but if, you, if, you're, if you're afraid of failure, you're not going to go to battle. You don't have a shield of faith to become, to get that dream, to, to get that vision. Mm-hmm. Does, does that make sense on the dreamer and wisher? Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. It's, I, a, it's a matter of work between the dreamer and the wisher. Well, it's, don't, don't it's, you think? So, yes. It's, yes, it's a matter of work, but I can't tell you how many loved ones that I have who who I've seen in the Wisher camp. I remember being young, watching someone that I loved so much, and I knew their dream, and I bought into it, and I knew their vision, and I knew it was a true vision and dream, but they moved over into the Wisher camp where they always said, as soon as I have this, then I'll do it. And this person I love so much is being seventy-two It's years the whole old. story of the dream giver. Uh, yeah, it's the whole story of the dream giver. He, you know, he gives him a dream, and the father puts it on his windowsill and never does anything about it. He became a wisher, but right. the one, you know, the the dreamer, ordinary who really became a dreamer, he picked that feather up and he went, and he right. and he just started walking, you know, just walking, just started doing something about it. Oliver says in in the mentor book that we're writing, he says, you know, I will say no. Some the the very best mentors will often say no, several times, and because they want to see who's going to get back up and say, fine, say no to me. I'm going to do it You're anyway. Going to do it. <laughs> yeah, tell me no. Fine, say time. no to me. I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Me. I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to do it. It's kind of like you with with Don Gatto. Be hard I, to reach. I don't care. I know. <laughs> I'm going to reach you. <laughs> Before you do one more question. One more question. How do you align the self, spirit, and body? What, how do you go about aligning that? That is such a good question. That is the right question to ask. How do you align these, the, the spirit, the body, and the self, the, self. the intelligence? And that is a, that is a thesis. Cammie, do you want to take your 
a one-minute wrap-up on that, no, your I, personal experience? Um, or do you, do we want to um, face the truth that that question of how you align it, align those things is what we should be thinking about right now? Well, that that's a, I mean, that's, that's going to be our whole study of this thing is, is how to, how to get those things in line. Our, our self is perfect. Cammie, can I, can I interject something here? Please. That's like a totally loaded question because that's the whole essence of the whole. That's the whole entire thing. It's the whole essence because it starts with it takes time to make a warrior. So I'm going to have to say I'll answer that with time. It takes time. That's how you do it. You align it through time, and you take all the elements of the intellect, all the elements of, of bridling the passions, all the elements of growing the character, all of the elements of submitting your will to your mentors and your God, all of those elements over time align those things. Did that help? <laughs> it really is time. It is. It's time. And, and But what, the thing that's beautiful is you've asked the right question. How do I do this? That is good. And could you throw that out to the universe and it will tell you your next baby step? I have to tell you, I remember planning for our very first Scholar Phase seminar, Tiffany and I and Dr. DeMille and Rachel DeMille, sitting in Tiffany's living room. And I, this was, I don't know, how many years ago, four or five years ago. And I was sitting in the living room, and they're, you know, they're Oliver's over here saying, okay, we're going to do this. And Rachel's saying, okay, well, I should do this. And then Tiffany's saying, and then, and then we're going to add this. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at them. I'm totally overwhelmed. I'm thinking to myself, what the heck am I doing? I, what am I doing? Okay, can I leave now? Because I so don't belong here. I'm sitting there thinking all these thoughts, and I break down crying. <laughs> and Rachel DeMille looks over at me. She says, would you like to share? <laughs> I still remember this. <laughs> and I said, your ego won for just a minute, didn't it? Yes, it did. I said, I have to become a scholar. <laughs> and I started crying. I don't want to be a scholar. I never wanted to be a scholar in my whole life. I don't I hate scholars. <laughs> I hate studying. I hate reading. This is something I never wanted to do ever. This is not my dream. <laughs> Whatever. It wasn't. But God planted something in me. Oh my gosh. I know. It's true, it's time and it's a process. Yes, and, and I have to add to that though, because time if you're in on level three, you're totally connected but you have no direction, time will do nothing for you. That's right. Okay, so you have to move to level four with the time. So you have to be totally connected and then use that time and then yeah. then it will come. And, and you were mentioning that. Is about. You were mentioning that, Cam. You were saying this is so, 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 now I can't even say it. Take Obi do. Yeah. You know, because that's the direction. you got to develop that ability. Mm-hmm. you got to be able to hear it and act on it. Exactly. Or yeah. else you're sitting, waiting, you're still on the defense and waiting yeah. for someone to come and hurt you. <laughs> well, 
It's it's time to end, and Cammy, thank you. I have one last scripture to end on. <laughs> Good job, Cammy. Go ahead. Gird your sword upon your side, Almighty One. Beautiful. Let's go be warriors. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Cammy, so much for, for coming today and joining us. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just as in every Lemmy training, we hope you walk away uplifted and inspired, but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community. Please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things.